Hey, what's up, you guys? This is Bert. I'm the lead pastor at True North Community Church. Thanks for tuning into our podcast. I'm going to have a little something to say to you at the end, but for now, let's dive in. Good morning. Good morning, everybody. So glad you made it today. Thanks for making the effort to get here. It's really fun to see the place filling back up. Uh, each week we find more people coming back and saying, hey, I'm back for the first time. And if that's you, welcome back. And if you're new, my name's Bert. I'm one of the pastors here. And today we're diving back into a series of messages called Summer Games. Talking, of course, not about the Olympics, but about the summer games that we play, or at least the ones we maybe used to play when we were kids. Last week, uh, we made our beginning talking about, I'm sorry, two weeks ago, we made our beginning talking about Monopoly, the, the grandfather of all uh, board games, the game that has divided more families than any game in history. Uh, and we talked about how even in Monopoly world, even playing with Monopoly money, there's still no room for generosity in the game. And we kind of talked about how, how sad it is that so many people live their actual lives that way. Uh, with no room for generosity at all. And then last week, we got into talking about trivial pursuit. Uh, and we talked about the different kind of pie pieces of our life and the different areas we're always trying to keep fulfilled in. And we talked about the importance of making sure that God isn't just a compartment of our life, that God isn't just a component of our life, but that he's in charge of all of it. Today, we're talking about the worst board game in the history of time. Perfection. Anybody ever play Perfection? Anybody? Nobody? A couple of you? Okay, maybe you don't know about Perfection. Let me introduce you to the horror of Perfection. Uh, basically, you get a square board that uh, presses down like a plunger that's on a timer. And in this board is the outline of 30 or 40 geometric shapes. And you got little plastic pieces of geometric shapes that fit into those tiny little holes. And basically, you set a timer, and you got X amount of seconds to fill every piece into the hole. And if you don't get every piece into the hole by the time the timer stops, the whole thing explodes. So if you ever go to your doctor, and you have a physical, and your doctor says to you, uh, I'm sorry, sir, uh, your blood pressure is too low you're going to have to play perfection to get your blood pressure back up. If the doctor ever says to you, your problem is you don't have enough stress in your life, they're going to tell you you should go play perfection because that's what perfection does. It just stresses you out, raises your blood pressure, and I don't know why anyone would ever play it. But kids seem to dig it, and it, it, it serves as a great teaching point for our lives. Maybe some of you in your life have, like other Christians I've come across, struggled with feelings of discouragement and feeling like we're not good enough. Every Christian at some point in their life, every believer at some point in their life, struggles with the feeling of not being good enough, struggles with feeling like they don't measure up. And the difficult part about coming to church and gathering with other believers is that when we do, we compare what we know about ourselves to what we don't know about everybody else. We compare what we know about ourselves to what we don't know about everybody else. So here's what you know about yourself. 
You know about all your darkest moments. You know all of your darkest thoughts. You know about that stuff that's in your rearview mirror that you did that you'd be horrified if anyone else knew about. But you know about that stuff, and that's all back there, and that's all in there. And you know all the darkest, heaviest uh, stuff about yourself. But you don't know anything about anybody else. So when you walk into church, it can feel like, you know, when you walk into church, you look around, look, look around for a minute. Seriously, go like this. Look around for a minute. Look at the rest of the room. You guys are a good-looking congregation. You're an attractive group of people. And you put something on, and you came into church, and you, you, just, you, you look like you belong in church. But if you're new to church, in your mind, you just walked into the assembly of the holy, the gathering of the righteous at True North. You know, because in your mind, you know all the stuff that you've done, but you don't know anything about anybody else. And you might just be assuming everybody else in here is holy. Everybody else in here uh, is like way up the ladder from you. Everybody else in here kind of has their act together. And then there's you. And what you might not know in your head is that we're all just as messed up as you. Every one of us, myself included, is just as messed up. We're all that messed up. Everybody is that messed up. We're all in need of God's grace. So what happens is, when we get this backwards, we start playing perfection. We start trying to order our life and get our life together and put all the pieces together. And you know what that feels like, don't you? You just ever felt like you can never get the pieces in before it explodes? You know what that feels like? Like, you're, have you ever felt like you, you just can't please everybody? Like there's, I, I, my therapist said to me once, Bert, it's, a, well, I have a therapist. I don't know if I ever mentioned that. I, I go to a therapist. It's good. You should go. Okay, so um, my therapist said to me once, Bert, it's like you have an imaginary Greek chorus of voices in your head that you feel like you have to keep happy. And I was like, wow, that's true. Totally accurate. Totally accurate. I have in my head, and maybe some of you do as well, an imaginary chorus of voices that I have that are always watching me and always scrutinizing me and I have to keep them happy and I have to make sure <clears throat> that I do the things that they'll approve of and it's like I'm playing perfection I'm trying to find a way to make all the puzzle pieces fit and I'm trying to find a way to keep everybody happy and there's only one way to win that game and that's not to play it anybody remember the movie war games with Matthew Broderick from way back in the day anybody where are my 80s kids at? Okay, two, great. Okay, so, congregation skewing younger, note to self. All right, so, um, War Games was a precursor. This is, you know, we've seen movies where, like, computers become self-aware and then pose a threat to humanity. Um, <coughs> this was played out in the Terminator movies. This was played out in the Matrix movies. War Games was a precursor to all that. There was a computer that was running a very dangerous simulation. A, a computer was running a global thermonuclear war situation. And this computer in the movie was getting ready to run a simulation but was preparing to launch actual missiles. And in the movie, to, 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 to step the thing down and to help it understand like this is a terrible idea, the, the humans in the movie had to try to help the computer understand the doctrine of mutually assured destruction. The doctrine of mutually assured destruction is why there wasn't a real war after the Cold War. The notion being that if either side launched a single nuclear missile, the entire world would be obliterated. Like, forget 
Forget pandemic, we have enough warheads on this planet to kill the whole planet, kill every life form on the planet. So the computer in the movie started running all these simulations and, and eventually, like just in the nick of time at the right dramatic moment, realized global thermonuclear war is a terrible game. The only way to win it is not to play. Perfection is that kind of a game, and I don't mean the board game. If, if, that, if that's what you enjoy, knock yourself out. I think you're weird, but go ahead. But I'm talking about the perfection that we play when we're trying to keep the imaginary Greek chorus happy, when we're trying to make all the puzzle pieces fit, when the pressure is bearing down and we know that we're at fault and we know we're struggling and we're trying like crazy to make everybody happy. Now, we have a bit of a deep theological issue to wrestle with this morning. And I know that when you rolled out of bed this morning, you didn't say to yourself, you know what I need today? I need a deep theological issue. I know you didn't say that this morning, so you're not hoping for a big deep theological issue. But I think if you, if you walk with me through the fleshing out of this thing, you may find something that applies to your actual real living life. We are called in the scriptures to be perfect. I don't know if you ever knew that. We're called in the scriptures to be perfect, and that can feel like a real heavy weight. This is, this is Jesus speaking in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 5. But you are to be perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. Okay, that's it. That's the sermon. You guys can go. Have a nice day. Just go be perfect. Perfection. Well, you know and I know, I mean, it, it happens often enough and it's in common usage enough. Well, nobody's perfect. We all know nobody's perfect. We all know we're not going to be perfect, but we're called to be. It doesn't say try to be perfect. It said you are to be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. And that's a heavy weight. And I've heard that verse misapplied. I have been on the receiving end of sermons where a preacher takes that verse and says, all right, so we're called to be perfect, we all fall short, but now what we got to do is do better. So this week, I want you to read your Bible more, I want you to get up earlier and do those devotions, read your Bible, spend that time in prayer, start tithing, tithe more, give more, do more, be better, run faster, pedal harder, put in some more effort, and let's get perfect. And then I was just young enough to go like, okay, yeah, that's what I got to do. And you know how long it lasts? Anybody ever tried to have a moment like that? It doesn't usually last really long because ultimately in time, we end up getting discouraged again. We end up falling short. We disappoint ourselves. We disappoint others. We feel as if we disappointed God and we struggle with discouragement because we're trying to play perfection. So what do we do with this verse? Best thing to do when you have a verse that you're not sure what to do with is look at other verses that talk about the same topic and let Scripture interpret Scripture. And if we take the whole of Scripture, we find that there are some really important words to be found about who it is that does the perfecting in us. The author of Hebrews wrote it like this. This is the book of Hebrews, chapter 12, verse 1. Let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. 
Well, how, author of Hebrews? What should we do? I'm glad you asked, he said. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Okay, so let us strip off the weight that slows us down, the sin that trips us up. Get rid of stuff. So there might be some stuff in your life. This, this is kind of a, a throwback to last week's sermon. If there's a piece of the pie in your life, an area of your life, that hasn't been yielded fully to God, that's a great place to start. Have you guys ever seen a marathon runner carrying a backpack full of rocks? No, you haven't, because that would slow them down. No marathon runner would seek to run a marathon carrying a bag of rocks. It just wouldn't, that's not how it works. Anybody here ever seen the 400-yard dash performed in ski boots? No, you haven't. That actually would be funny. I would watch that. But you would never run the 400-yard dash in ski boots because it would trip you up. It would make it more difficult to get to where you want to go. So we are called to take some action. We are called to strip away and kick to the curb and get rid of in our life anything that might cause us to stumble. If there is sin in our life, that needs addressing. And so we're in part in a process here. So how do we do that? What exactly, what is this work of perfection that God has called us to? How are we precisely to, to, to do this work of, of stripping away these things and preparing ourselves to run with endurance? Well, he answers that question. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus. We focus on him and we look to him because he is the author and the perfecter of our faith. He's the one who wrote it, and he's the one who perfects it. He's the author of it. What do authors do? They write stories. Your faith is a story, and it was written by God. You are not the author of the story of your faith. God wrote it. It is God who initiates it's God who walks across the dance floor to us and says, you, I want to dance with you. I'm choosing you. To which we reply, are you kidding me? You're the most attractive person in this whole place. You want to connect with me? You want me in your life? You're choosing me? And God says, yes, you. I'm choosing you. I am initiating with you. Come and dance with me. To which we reply, oh, yes, 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 yes. Immediately, yes, of course, yes, I want you in my life. Yes, I want to dance with you. Yes, I want to live out this adventure. No, I don't just want to sit here on the bench, the captain of my own tiny little story. Of course, I want to play the part you've given me to play. He's the author of your story. He wrote it. He initiates it. And he is the perfecter of our faith. It is God who does the heavy lifting in the perfecting of our faith. Did you catch that in the scriptures? It's God who does the heavy lifting. So this whole work hard, pedal hard, do more, be more, give more, serve more, get better thing, all that is is a game of perfection that we're never ever going to win. What we're called to do is to keep our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. So, 
there's, there's, a, there's an old hymn that some of you may remember, a line from which says, God the just is satisfied to look at him and pardon me. God the just is satisfied. God's justice is satisfied in Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. He is content to look at Jesus and pardon me. The things I've done wrong, my sins, my shortcomings, covered by the sacrifice that Jesus made for me. It is he who does the heavy lifting in our perfection. It's he who imparts perfection onto us. So we don't achieve it. We don't earn it. We can't spend our lives, well, I mean, some people try, but it would be a foolish effort indeed to try to spend our lives earning God's love and earning God's grace and trying to earn his mercy by being good enough. What we're called to do instead is to respond to what God has done in our lives. Now, we're not the first people to struggle with this. Uh, the Apostle Paul planted a bunch of churches. I don't know if, you ever, if you're new to church, maybe you've heard of Paul, the Apostle Paul. He wasn't one of the original 12. He came along a little later. But he started churches in what we now think of as Asia Minor in, in some parts of Europe. And there was one church in particular in the city of Galatia where people were struggling with this. Like they first understood the nature of their salvation. They first understood at one point that this was a gift that happened to them because they believed but they switched into thinking that they could earn it. And Paul, if you've read a little bit in the New Testament, you may know, there are a couple places where Paul gets a little testy, gets a little, gets a little uptight. And what he does here in this chapter of Galatians, he lights this church up in this letter. Listen to this. This is Galatians chapter 3, beginning at verse 1. Oh, foolish Galatians. How's that for a greeting? Oh, foolish. Foolish Galatians, who has cast an evil spell on you? For the meaning of Jesus Christ's death was made as clear to you as if you had seen a picture of his death on the cross. Let me ask you this one question. Did you receive the Holy Spirit by obeying the law of Moses? Of course not. You received the Spirit because you believed the message you heard about Christ. How foolish can you be after starting your Christian lives in the Spirit? Why are you now trying to become perfect by your own human effort? Have you experienced so much for nothing? Surely it was not in vain, was it? So you can hear a couple of things in Paul's tone here, right? He's, he's angry. He's like, come on. You guys know better than that. And then he's, there's almost like some sadness in it. Please tell me that all the things you learned and all the stuff that you absorbed along the way wasn't in vain. Please tell me that wasn't all wasted. Come on. Did you, he goes, he goes, come on, let me ask you a question. Did you receive the Holy Spirit because you obeyed the law of Moses? Now look it. The law of Moses is a reference to the Torah and the Ten Commandments specifically. So when, when, when we talk about the Holy Spirit in church, we don't talk a ton about the Holy Spirit uh, because this is, this is kind of the place where sometimes within Christianity things get a little kooky. So let me just break that down for you real quick. 
each week, at least one person, usually it's more, but at least one person will come out of the auditorium like moved. I'll see somebody walk out, and, and, and I he, I've heard this, I'm not going to say it's hundreds and hundreds of times, but it's probably hundreds of times. Something was going on in there. I just felt something was happening in the music. I felt like my heart was, was being moved, and I was crying, and I don't know why, because I don't cry, but I was crying in there, and I'm not sure what was going on. And, 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 and this was even before you got up to speak, but then you got up to speak, and you said stuff, and it was like you were speaking right to me. Somehow, you don't know me, but it was like you were reading my mail, and you were speaking right to me. And then there was more music, and I don't know what's going on, but something's happening in my heart. That's the Holy Spirit. That's the third person of the Trinity touching your life. That's God himself initiating with you, saying, come dance. Let's go. That didn't happen to you because you had such a holy week. That didn't happen to you because you got up early and read your Bible. That didn't happen to you because you gave enough money or because you said enough prayers or because you decided you were going to somehow achieve perfection in and of yourself. That happened to you because you're starting to believe. And the Holy Spirit touched you in some way and brushed up against you in some way and you felt something you never felt before and wow. If you, if you could... Come on, does God say, you know what, you had a great week, you said your prayers, and you read your Bible, and you gave enough, so here's a little, here's a little Holy Spirit juju for you as a reward. Come on, is that how it works? That's what Paul is saying to the church in Galatia. Come on, did, did, you, did the Holy Spirit take up residence in you because you obeyed the law of Moses? You kept the commandments? Do you think that's how it works? No. The Holy Spirit took up residence in your heart because you believed this message about Jesus. You believed he died in your place. You have come to some sort of faith that helps you understand that Jesus' death on the cross all those years ago stands now in payment for the sins we're committing today. That God allows a once and for all time transference of our guilt up off of us onto the shoulders of his son, Jesus Christ. And when that happens... We are freed from those things. We're cleansed from those things. Perfection is imparted to us. Our efforts fall to the ground useless. The Greek chorus of voices whom we've been trying to please is fully and finally silenced at the cross. We don't have to live that way anymore. We don't have to think that way anymore. We can stop playing perfection. The only way to win that game is not to play it. You don't have to earn your salvation, and you don't have to prove your holiness to the world around you. Now, we're free to live in response, to see that amazing love, to see that amazing grace that God gives to us, to look upon it, to see the cross and say, I want to respond to that. I don't know that anybody really gets a good look at the cross and then shrugs their shoulders. When you get this kind of love, when you see that kind of love, when that kind of love penetrates the veneer that we sometimes build up around ourselves, it's striking and it makes us want to live in response. So in response, maybe we pray. 
or read our Bible, or we kick to the curb whatever sinful things are happening in our life that would prevent us from responding properly. But we never labor under the false delusion that somehow we can, by our own effort, achieve perfection. If you could achieve perfection on your own, Jesus' sacrifice would not have been necessary. If you could get there by being good, if you could get there by super holy practices, Jesus' death on the cross would not have been necessary. But it was necessary. You know why? Because we're all of us just as messed up as everybody else. Because we all need God's grace. Because we're all of us struggling to run a marathon in ski boots, it feels like sometimes. All of us struggling to put the puzzle pieces in, all of us struggling to silence that chorus of voices in our head. So what's required of us, loved ones, is that we remember each day that Christ's perfection is imparted onto us, that it is he who is the author and perfecter of our faith, and that because God looks at us and sees Jesus' perfection, we're now free to live our lives in response. I want that to be true of me. I want that to be true of you. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we love you. And we thank you for this message that we don't have to and, in fact, would not be able to earn it. That it simply doesn't work that way. That this thing we keep doing where we play perfection and we try to make our lives orderly and we try to make everything fit to please others, to please our parents, to please our spouses or even our children, whoever it is that might look upon us in judgment. This work that we do to try to make everybody else approve of us, just help us, Father, to put that work down. Leave it at the foot of the cross and keep our eyes on you, the author and perfecter of our faith. May that be so in my life. May that be so in all of our lives. We pray together in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, thanks once again for taking the time to listen. It's an honor to have you with us. If you'd like to support our church financially and help us continue to put this content out there for free, that would be a really big deal to us. We're completely supported by the contributions of the people that come to our church. And if you'd like to help, you can do that online at truenorthchurch.net slash give, or you can do it with a text message. Just text the word True North to 77977 on your cell phone and you'll get a prompt leading you through how to do that. Thanks again for dialing in. See you soon. Bye-bye.